Hey everyone, big news. Up Next in Commerce is now available for sponsorship. If you love this show and you, or maybe your company, or someone in your network that you know may want to reach an audience of supremely smart e-commerce leaders, then reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and I'll give you all the juicy details around what our strategic partnerships look like. Email me at stephanie at mission.org and let's chat. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. Good Planet Foods was established with a mission in mind. But how did that mission land as products in the hands of consumers? On part two of this two-parter episode, we welcome back David Israel, the founder and co-CEO at Good Planet Foods. Check out his full interview in our last episode if you haven't already, because there were some juicy, amazing stories that you do not want to miss. Plus, we're also joined by David's co-CEO, Bart Adlam a veteran of the food industry, who served as the CEO of Siggy's, where he grew this $10 million company into a $150 million profitable business. Plus, he was also the president of Post Foods, among many other roles. They filled me in on how they are building Good Planet in a co-creative way and how they are thinking about making waves in this emerging market. Enjoy today's episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. David, good to see you. Welcome back to the show. Great to see you, Stephanie. Thank you. Round two. This one's going to be good. I can feel it because Bart's here. Bart, thank you for allowing us to put you on the spot on the previous episode that you were not even aware of that we just assumed your presence would be here. So thank you for actually coming and making that possible for us. Glad to be here. Thanks. So Bart, I actually want to start with you since our listeners didn't get to hear from you in the previous episode. I want to go through your background. I mean, it's pretty impressive, but I want to let you start wherever you would like to um, just so people can know a bit about you. Yeah, so basically, I'm coming from big food, CPG, uh, was with a number of companies, but uh, spent a long time with Danone on the conventional dairy side, finished up as president of Post Cereal, which was well over a billion dollar company and went to a much smaller company in Siggy's Yogurt, still saying on uh, on dairy, by the end of it, we did a plant-based uh, option and had a great run uh, at Siggy's growing that business. 
from $10 million to over $150 million. We sold that business to Lactalis, which is a giant French dairy company. And I knew I wasn't going back to big food during COVID, actually, just under two years ago now. During COVID, met David by phone and everything, uh, went over to Seattle and just under two years ago, joined uh, Good Planet. We're trying to make something special happen here now. Amazing. So David, what did you see in Bart? Why did you want him to be your co-CEO, which we will talk about those terms in a little bit, but what, what was the spark that you saw in Bart? Well, that he had all this great, large experience, understood the category which we were trying to grow. He had obviously an enormous amount of success doing something similar at Siggy's, working with a founder. When we finally met, we were able to put everything on the table. So he knew who I was and how I worked and how I thought. So there wouldn't be any surprises really. And it would be a good balance because he can operate a business and I can be out there wrangling opportunities or working with our, our board and private equity people and you know whatever else. I'll, the things I like to do that get me energized, it's a good balance because I would have had another 200 products on the market right now. Bart kept us kind of wrangled. So we're more focused and putting our efforts in the right place to grow the business. So for Good Planet, David, can you give a description of what it is in case anyone missed that on the previous one? I mean, we quickly went through it, but can you tell everyone what it is? What do you guys sell? What's the idea behind it? Well, we started out four years ago, really trying to take the, the vegan cheese products to another level. I mean, all we heard about is they didn't perform, right? They didn't melt. They didn't have a good flavor. And really none of the people that were pioneering that seemed to really care. They weren't innovating and, and pushing kind of themselves to bring better products. So we came out with a better, I think something that was, well, it was head and shoulders at the time that really melted and tasted better. And the mission for our company was all about the planet. We're not trying to convert people to be vegans or we may want to provide these products to people, right? And the, the, the people that are lactose intolerant, people that make choices for their health, diabetic, whatever it may be. But really, we were after doing better for our planet, doing good. How about that? Doing good for our planet and giving the consumer the opportunity to have a great experience with our products and not feel like they have to give something up. So really just wanted to create balance and, like I said, to give people options. Now, I think, you know, we've really expanded our product line from shreds and slices into wedges that are like the laughing cow kind of product. We have a, an amazing smoked round that we just introduced that is goes through an actual smoking process like Boar's Head does. A really amazing product. Looking at some other categories. I mean, we also do sour cream and cream cheese for food service and industrial that are great products. So I think now we're trying to figure out how to leverage Good Planet, the brand that seems to really connect with the consumer and grow it. So Bart, I mean, earlier David mentioned like no surprises when coming to this company, he wanted to be very open. Were there any surprises? Is there anything that you're like, oh, I thought it was going to be like this. And then it was a little bit different or being co-CEO with someone is like a different thing. Like that's been a work in front. Like tell me a bit behind the scenes of what it's been like since you joined. There's certainly all kinds of things you don't expect as you're in a fast growing segment with a new startup brand and such. When I was first uh, meeting David, obviously exciting to go into plant-based food right now. I've 
both a believer in it in terms of the importance to our planet and to uh, to consumers, something that I'm trying to do more and more of. Love the brand that's uh, you know behind David's head there uh, in, in terms of where that can go and what that communicates. Specifically, where David had the company by and, and team had the company by that point, it was big enough that it wasn't like a piece of paper with an idea, but small enough that you know I've worked with a lot of good people, and I'm lucky that a lot of them are still willing to work uh, to work with me again. So we were in a place where we could bring in some really great talent and boost the business forward. It's never going to be uh, as easy or the way you write it down on day one, but we've got a lot of great things going and especially the innovation that David's already talked to. Yeah, I agree. What do you do for the first 90 days? I mean, it definitely feels like you've done this a few times now. Is it similar with every company where you kind of go in, you listen, or like, what does your process look like when you come in and you think about like what you want to do with a company? I think broadly, first 90 days, you're listening a lot, you're looking at a lot of data. This time in particular, it was putting together the team. And we had a lot of the team, if you go back, David, and, and, and look at those first 90 days, we had people sitting in chairs for key roles on the leadership team over that time period. So if you can get some of those things done in theory and in reality, that's going to pay off for a long time after versus fumbling around and postponing that and doing other things that may in the short term move you forward, but don't set you up for everything, the full ambitions of the business. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. So leadership, David, what about you? When you brought Bart on, was there anything specific other than also hiring a good leadership team that you had in mind or you were really looking for him to do? Just put really like build the team, you know, get us more organized, get us on the right path block up the right path so we could continue our growth and really execute. I mean, you know, the investor base that we brought on was really just an amazing group, very high level, tons of connections and insight and experience. You brought them on when Bart came along? We closed a little before. I mean, okay. uh, we had a great board from really day one. I mean, it's just amazing some of the people that joined and got aligned with us. For me, I really felt the responsibility to do the best that we could as a company for them, for their investment. And you got to take ego out of it. You know, when we decided to be co-CEOs, you have to separate yourself and, and not worry about who looks at you like what your title is or what responsibilities you're shifting over to Bart, which to me was a, was a lot. I mean, I wanted to let go. I wanted him to do what he's an expert at so that I can focus what I really enjoy. So. I think, you know, really the first 90 days, it was getting comfortable knowing each other. I mean, Bart really was very sensitive and asking me, felt like permission, but I was trying to say, you know what, I don't need to be asked for permission. I just, the goal is just keep each other in the loop and do what we do best and communicate. Yep. I mean, that does seem like a delicate balance coming in as a co-CEO into a company, you know, that the founder is there. It does seem like it would be an interesting balance trying to be forthright and say what you want, Bart, but then also being like, I'm sure David might be a little protective if you come in and be like, hey, slash these hundreds of other product ideas that you have right now, stay focused. How do you walk that line, Bart, when you're coming in here, you know, and yeah, working with a founder without maybe crushing too many of their ideas? Because I know David told me in the last one too, he has a lot of ideas. <laughs> I think the discussions and the openness have been there from the beginning. 
sometimes just like leave out the founder dynamic, it's tough to fully walk the talk. So when your muscles naturally go in a certain direction, how do you shift that to sort of a new form? So I don't, you know, like I, like I said, I came from big food. There was always multiple groups you had to sell on any big ideas you had. So comparatively speaking, this is pretty straightforward. But there's always going to be some, again, some of that same, I understand on both sides, right? I understand that logic and everything, but I'm inclined to go all in this way and, and like any relationships anywhere, right? You find some, uh, some common ground that both makes sense and then you keep learning from there. I love it. So for a food like Good Planet, how are you balancing getting the product out there, but also educating people on the importance of it? Because it kind of seems like that could just be two companies of showing like, why does this matter? And I'm sure, Bart, you might even have stats from working in the dairy industry before, of like, why does this matter? And also we have a good product, like which one, I'm sure you let the product win, but like, how do you get the word out there to people, especially who are not vegan and be like, not only should you try this because our products are excellent, but like, here's the reason, how do you balance those two initiatives? It's a huge question. You know what? I really am a believer, regardless of the brand, that when you're first launching, which we still are, even though you know the business has been around, we're still clearly just launching this brand to, uh, to the huge majority of consumers. You have to introduce yourself first. At a dinner party, you can't go in there and start spilling all kinds of facts about yourself before anyone understands who are you, why are you here, you know, why, why did you come up to me or whatever, you know, like you, you have to first just introduce, this is who I am, this is why I'm here at this party and move forward. And there's other mediums we have like social media where we can and do go deeper. It'd be very ambitious to go in there and carry the flag from day one for the whole plant-based cheese segment or category and try to educate consumers before you've really established your brand. So there is a balance, but at the very beginning, you do have to introduce yourself as a brand. Yeah. I mean, I see a lot of founders, it seems like they kind of get caught up in that dilemma of having maybe a big mission or, you know, this is for social good and a good product and trying to do both at once from the very start and focusing on too many things maybe isn't always the best idea. But I always wonder about that of like, how do you choose which one to do first? I like the idea of introducing yourself before you kind of tell people about your mission and, you know, how you're going to impact the world, like actually just get to know someone like you normally would in a conversation. Like who knew? I don't want to say the product is the mission, but the product is the unlock to the mission. You know, like cheese is a, is a category where consumers are very demanding. They get real joy from cheese. Cheese is often the star of the show. In contrast to milk, for example, where milk is often more of a supporting player and most people wouldn't say they get joy from, from milk. Yep. Unless you're my kids. <laughs> right, right. Okay. <laughs> so with that in mind, the, you, you're not going to be able to achieve a, a lofty goal around the planet or healthier, uh, healthier consumers, etc., without a great product that makes it easy for them to make those choices. I really don't see it as mutually exclusive. I think as we're launching these innovations that give consumers new ways to enjoy the product, we're going to be growing the brand. We're going to be growing the, uh, the category, but we will be also delivering on that mission, even if that's not 
the main communication point as we're going out, we're going to be delivering on that by making it easy for consumers, flexitarians like David was talking about, to to flex towards plant-based instead of away from plant-based. Oh, flexitarians. <laughs> I like that. I've never heard that word. David, did you make that up? No, no, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty common in our industry, actually. I've not heard that. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Flexitarians. All right. How are you, maybe David, going about finding these flexitarians? Like, what are the channels right now that you're finding most successful? Like, how are you getting people to even try something like this for the first time? That's one of the, the things we're struggling with right now. I think a year and a half ago or a year ago, plant-based was getting so much attention that everybody was moving towards it. But in our category specifically, there was a ton of launches in the plant-based cheese. Everybody wanted to get in it because it's a huge category. It's growing. And there are companies that already had a similar production that they could shift over to plant-based, but they did it without care. They just did it to get in the business, to create a product. A lot of this got on the shelf and price points were lower than, for instance, us or one of our stronger competitors that has great products, they put on the shelf, you know, cheap, not so great products. And I think the consumers that were wanting or considering making that shift for the balance for the planet or for their health got some bad experiences and said, wow, if this is what plant-based cheese tastes like, I'm not buying it. So I think now we're, we're having to go out and figure out how one pitch the buyers to let them understand that they need to have to offer. And it's not, you don't just offer one brand. You don't go to any category and they're not just one cereal, right? I mean, not everybody's, it's not just grape nuts and nothing else. There has to be options and people have different reasons for buying things. The buyers now have to understand they got to put something quality on the shelf that's going to give, they're going to grow the category, give the consumer the experience they're looking for. There's a dilemma and that's what we're trying to figure out now, how we accept that challenge and win it. All right. Anything to add there? This is actually, David, also something I've talked about a couple times on previous episodes is like the early quick movers kind of ruin it for the industry for a while. And then you have to unravel the issues they caused. And I think I was talking about maybe virtual reality back in like my Google days. And we got in this VR headset and I remember walking away like, oh, never doing that again. Like I felt so. And of course, it takes that sometimes in certain industries like progress, of course. But then like this, where it's like you move too quick and you break people's trust, like how you go about bringing them back seems like a huge challenge and even convincing them to like try it again and invest again. Bart, anything on that? There will be a shakeout. There's just too many competitors, as David said, often with inferior product, often with redundant product. And that's a big reason that we put a lot of focus behind incremental innovation, you know, bringing something truly different, different ways for consumers to enjoy this. Because for the customer and consumers, they're overwhelmed with these different brands that are offering variations of a, of a theme, but nobody's offering a plant-based cheese wedge, like David said. Nobody's even thought about until we launched a, a, a smoked plant-based cheese wheel, which has really had fantastic response. we got a Another innovation we'll be uh, talking. Maybe this can be the next podcast in, uh, yeah, in about a month's three. time that we'll, uh, <laughs> that, that, that we'll launch, which is, again, something that's really different in, the, uh, in, in this segment. So you have to work harder. There's never been a time in, in food, and I've been in the industry for longer than I might want to say, where competitors flock faster towards 
where there's some energy, where there's a spark, you know, like moss to a flame is the obvious, like they're just immediately there. And this is as good an example as uh, plant-based in general has been an example where so many competitors can see that, that even when a segment is very small, you've got a lot of energy and a lot of small, large companies that are going after that opportunity in, in real time. So, I mean, you mentioned, you know, you have been in this industry for a long time. Is there anything that you're able to kind of pull from your time at all, your previous roles where you're like, oh, this is just history repeating itself, or I've seen this before, let's avoid this hype. Like, yeah, what are you maybe pulling forward right now into this role? There is for sure, but you've also got to be careful on the other side, not to fill in the blanks too readily and say like, oh, this is just like what happened here. Or we can do here exactly what we had successful success doing at Siggy's or or at Post or what have you. So yeah, of course, I, I believe the experience net is an advantage and you have to make it an advantage and see patterns and go that much faster. But you've also got, this is, this is a very different segment than, uh, than yogurt or cereal. And you've got to be looking for new patterns like how quick these competitors are coming in, the implications of that and such uh, that aren't consistent with the pattern and what you've seen in the past. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. Why are they able to move so quickly nowadays? I mean, it seems like, like you were saying, they're able to just switch things over quickly. All of a sudden they're in the vegan market. I mean, it seems much faster than, you know, what we've seen previously. Like what's changed since then? I think there's two dynamics here. One is just a desire for speed and not to miss out on opportunities that has accelerated. I've seen many examples where it took a lot longer and competitors might come in once a year towards an opportunity that was growing instead of what we're seeing, which can be once a month, you know, that you're seeing a new brand come in. I think specifically in our segment, David alluded to it before, one of the strengths we have is that we've got access, we, we specifically, but to, to a large extent, the industry have access to significant capacity because we can make this in dairy facilities. But that's a double-edged sword. That's great in terms of like, we can keep up with demand as it's increasing and such, but especially on conventional offerings like shreds and slices, so can and do competitors. So whether that's a giant dairy company that says, we're our volume's going down, plant-based is part of that, why don't we launch a plant-based? Whether that's a small player that's looking, and this is different than when David first started, but in the last couple of years, there's capacity in the U.S. that they can just knock on a door and, and access. The desire is there and the, uh, and the possibility is there in a way it might not have been in many other you know, historical examples. David, anything to add to that? When people see an opportunity and they already have the, the production, they looked at the ingredients that were required to make a plant-based cheese and threw it in there and, and sold it. That's the problem that we're facing is that they didn't take the time to really come out with an excellent product, boy, I wouldn't want 20 competitors with equally as good products. But on the other hand, you don't want 
them getting the distribution because they're well known or they have the relationship or it's less cost or it's ease for the buyer to bring them in and then kind of taint the market. You know, uh, I think that's destructive. We all know climate is in the news every day, multiple times a day. And the consumer feels that. The younger consumer is really super sensitive to that. So this is going to grow. And there has to be products that are, again, going to bring that experience to the consumer. It's just tough that these other guys just wanted in to get in and didn't do it with care. Yeah, it kind of feels like where the gluten-free market was maybe uh, five to 10 years ago. I remember because my mother-in-law, she had celiac. And so she we really always had to be searching for gluten-free stuff. And in the very beginning, there was nothing. And then everyone rushed in and it was just a bunch of like sugar products where I was like, oh, this is like terrible for us, even if it doesn't include gluten, like really bad for us. But then by now, it's like people know the brand names of like who came in with a good product, who stuck it out for the long haul and who kind of built that moat around the customers and, you know, kept that interaction going on that community. How do you all think about building a moat like that? Like, how are you holding on to your consumers or at least reminding them like, hey, we have quality. We have a great mission. David and Bart, we're awesome. Like, how do you, you know, keep them close to you all? The multiple innovations we're rolling out are clearly meant to make us a market of one, you know, or uh, an option of one where consumers can enjoy cheese, whether it's something they feel nostalgic about. Oh, I used to buy Laughing Cow. This seems like it's something that uh, is, is along those lines, or whether it's something, you know, that's more surprising and really delivers on the, the dairy cheese side, like the, the smoked wheels. That's a way literally to create like a we're not just one of the many in the mix and we stand out the offering, the packaging. Uh, yeah, we, we stand out all together with those unique offerings. If string cheese asking for a friend, that friend is me. <laughs> <laughs> it's we, We've talked about it. It's not an easy one to uh, to do. And we, yeah. to David's point earlier, we want to make sure when we do this, it's not just to say we did it or to push it out there. We, we want an excellent product. We're looking at what's next as far as the next gen products. So we can create a string cheese, other products that really replicate the real cheese experience. We're focused on that. We want to be first, second, third, as best we can to bring those products to market. So we are definitely looking a year or two ahead to figure out how we can really polish up what we do and increase the experience for the consumer. Again, I think our brand resonates with that consumer that's coming. They're not focused certainly on plant-based or looking more at planet-friendly products that are better for the climate, also better for them. We want to bring products that have attributes like real cheese, you know, proteins and, and things like that. So all these things are on our radar. It's just a matter of how do we do it and how do we do it right? And of course, at not $30 a pack. So there's a lot of factors we're working on, but we're trying to do it Again, execute and execute fast, but in a way that the consumer gets what they're entitled to. Interesting to see what the other competitors or whatever you want to call them are doing and how to make a piece of what you do super exclusive. Like you were saying, like, oh, they can just start up a facility. They can just switch things over. I was talking to the CEO of Wine Access a few weeks ago, and he was talking about like their exclusivity and their hard to reach, you know, the wines that they source from very small areas, you know, that really no one else can get here in the U.S. at least. It's kind of what keeps them so far ahead of their competitors. 
it's making me think i'm like what could you know you guys have that's so exclusive to you that no one else can have and then they can't just spin something up it's like only we have that ingredient sourced from here it's kind of like the story david that you were saying when you like called the guy and you're like hey we can partner and he said no but like how are there more exclusivity angles that could put you so far ahead of everyone else which to me you already are but or partnerships like have you guys thought about that with like partnering with someone like a wine access where it's like hey going forward let's get some tastings out here with some vegan cheeses and show people in a way that they don't have to take the risk no, I love that. I mean, look, I'm again, I, I love collaborations. I mean, obviously, my last company started out with my products and, and soon grew. My company brought a lot of attention to the popcorn and potato chip category. And then there was a flush of people coming in. So a way to separate was for me to partner with Hoi Fung or Almond Roca or Hidden Valley or whatever it was to create some difference and to connect with the consumer with brands that they recognized. We're not going to do, well, we might do co-branding. Who knows? Nothing's off the table, but I, not the same as we did there. I think here it's collaborating on technology or maybe what you just mentioned, pairings, things like that, to, again, take us to another level, connect us with the consumer, and get them to understand who we are. When Good Planet brings something to the market, it's going to be an experience that they do get joy from, right? It's not going to be the, a turnoff. So we're working hard to bring the real experience to the consumer. David's very well connected with partners. And before I was here, OG's Pizza, we're on uh, other plant-based pizzas with our, with our brand up front as a different way to communicate. Nestle, we do a number of things with uh, in the US and international. And there's a, a, longer, a, a longer line, Fuddruckers right now, where, uh, where their plant-based cheese is dipping their toes in initially on, uh, on plant-based. So, we're absolutely looking for those partners. And by definition, this is a pretty nascent uh, segment. So we're all sort of like figuring it out in terms of how we, uh, how we work together on bringing these offerings to market. I love it. Super exciting. So much going on. Yeah, I'm just really excited to see where you guys go for sure. All right, I want to go into a bit of storytelling. And David, I'm going to put you on the hot seat since you were here last time. I want to hear either maybe like the funniest story that involves Bart or like a time you're watching him and you're just like in awe, like, wow, this is like, how is he even doing this right now? You can take it wherever you want. The awe part was how he came in and was super sensitive to where we were and where we were going to go is how we developed the relationship. Because again, I mean, he could have just come in like a bull in a china shop. He was more thoughtful than that. And I think that helped kind of level the playing field so we could grow to where we where we needed to be. Bart has, is a funny guy. Uh, he has a great sense of humor. Uh, it's a little tricky. We would have a lot more of these awe moments if we were in the same place, but we're not. He's in New York at our New York office. I'm here. This is how we spend time together. I mean, it, it does make me laugh uh, when he's in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> when he's in the mood. <laughs> Is he in the mood right now? I can't. He looks like he's in the mood. He's got a smile on his face. Who knows what he might come up with here? But, you know, no, it's just really to see how we've divided the responsibilities and taken ego out of the game was impressive to me. I mean, you know, because ego is tough. Bart's had a, an illustrious career, been very successful, and, you know, to come in grounded and, and really be willing to put that ego aside and, and work together is super impressive. Bart, for you now, you can take it any way you want, something that 
David did. You're like, that was funny, silly. Like, I didn't expect that from him. Inspirational, whatever you want. I'll start with the with the awe piece also, which is a really strong word. But for sure, the partnerships we talked about earlier, how connected David is, how able he's been to trigger those connections to get us meetings or an audience. I've been super impressed with that. I've been in the industry for a long time. And David is definitely better connected in my industry than I am. And he spent a lot less time in it. So I think that's really, uh, that, that's something I'm, I, I've been in on. And it's paid off. And I think we need to make that, you know, continue to pay off for us uh, and bigger as we go forward. It's less funny. I think uh, one thing with David very consistently is you're very optimistic and light guy. So it's very easy to have a sense of humor, to uh, to relax. and And I think he across the company, does a very good job of keeping a can-do, positive, uh, optimistic. It's just, I think, very deep in who David is. So that's not necessarily like funny haha, but definitely a very light, uh, happy, you know, kind of uh, kind of uh, atmosphere. Yeah, I agree. For everything you've been through, David, it's like very impressive to me how inspired you are to like, let's keep moving forward and everything's going to be great. And yeah, that's definitely not everyone has that. So, all right. Well, I want to shift over to the lightning round. The last thing, the lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and I'll ask each of you, I'll throw them your way and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you guys ready? We think so. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. All right. Let's see. Bart, when was the last time you tried something new? Oh, like tried a new food or just tried something new? Anything. Anything you're like, I'm impressed with myself. I did something new today. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is lightning round. Uh, David just said we just had to get together in the Pacific Northwest. And with all the international travel challenges, I had my wife fly over at the end of that. And we traveled around hiking and biking Pacific Northwest and really enjoyed seeing a region we hadn't seen. Oh, I love that. All right, David, if you could go back in time and tell a younger version of yourself one thing, what would you tell him and why? To not sweat the small stuff, or actually even the big stuff. I think that you have to just take life and flow and, and, and be a believer that you can take it wherever you want, no matter what. And life is never going to be perfect. I mean, no matter who you think someone is, dollars don't make life easy. I mean, there's always hiccups. So just take it in stride and, and always, for me, it's just have a positive outlook and, and know you can make whatever you want to happen, happen. I love it. All right, Bart, if you could choose one book as mandatory reading for all business leaders, which book would it be and why? Oh, I'm a very bad business book, uh, business book reader. Or uh, podcasts or whatever you learn from. Unless it's just all up in here. You're like, it's all, everything I need to know is up in this brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, yeah, just being honest. I think uh, Malcolm Gladwell's books I've always enjoyed for business, but also more broadly, uh, you know, in, in life. They're super easy reads. It's pretty intuitive. I can't point to uh, how I've specifically used it, but when I read them, I feel like I'm in a, a, a clearer place at the end of it than at the beginning. So that, that'll be my lightning answer. I like that. All right. David, what about you? Is there any books that come to mind? It's an old book. Uh, it's called They Can Kill You, But They Can't Eat You. Uh, she was the first CEO of a major film studio. And I think her stories of overcoming 
everybody trying to keep her down and persevering and winning and earning the support of some of the industry leaders that are still industry leaders today was a very powerful message to me that keep your nose down and, and go. It doesn't matter if no doesn't mean anything to you. Uh, you just got to get it done. Great read, very old book, but I mean, the story was phenomenal. Mm, I'm going to check that one out. That sounds... Yeah, it's all about perseverance, you know, and, and again, believing in yourself and shaking it off, right? I like it. All right, this one, either of you can jump in. So it's a little bit harder, but what looks unsustainable, but is actually just a new trend that we haven't yet accepted? I don't know if, if this is, uh, you know, like the, the right answer, but what comes to mind, plant-based you know, I, I think it's beyond a trend, most people would say, but I think it's barely gotten started in terms of food. And I think across the board, certainly with cheese, which is very underdeveloped compared to the other segments, but right across the board, I think that's the future. And I don't think your average consumer is close to having their head wrapped around, you know, how, how much that's going to grow and how much it's going to change in the years to come. Yep, I agree. David, you got anything for that? Uh, CrossFit. Looks unsustainable. Oh, it might just be a trend, even though it looks, I don't know. I still feel like it looks unsustainable. I'm like, I don't know if that's good for your body long-term. I can't tell. I don't think, you know, again, it's not something you can do forever. So uh, yeah. I agree with Bart, but other on, on the part that's not going to survive, I think uh, CrossFit is going to kill some folks. For sure. Everything in moderation, right? Yep. Yep. I think that is true for a lot of things that pop up. Any, yeah, yeah almost anything that pops up and is a fad, I'm like, hmm. We need a little history here. Time will tell if this is actually good for you. Like the carnivore diet right now, I don't know. I'm like looking at that. I'm like, you all might end up with some <laughs> big problems down the road. I don't know, but we'll see. All right. The last one, and either of you can jump in. What do you not understand today, but wish you did? Boy, what I really don't understand is uh, today's workforce and the lack of commitment and drive. The entitlement that I see. Not, not, I mean, the people that don't want to work, not the people that are working. Well, maybe even some of them, but it's just a different mindset today than someone, I guess, like for me, who is driven to, to succeed or be a part of something or create something and wants to be 100% versus someone that wants to be 50% and feels like, eh, you know, I don't want to work Fridays. Oh, Mondays are tough. You know, <laughs> uh, I should have 10, yeah, yeah. 20 weeks off. Uh, so yep. no, I, I guess I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out how that's going to balance out. Uh, I mean, the workforce shortage is across the board. Okay, I mean it's it's not just in service; it's really across the board. And I think mm -hmm. that's what I have a hard time comprehending today. Yep, I agree with you on that. That's a good one. Yes, Bart, what about you? I think we, have, as a world, have been through something in the last two years that's obviously so unprecedented, trying to understand all the echo effects of that and some things that were happening that are going to happen faster, some things that weren't happening at all that I don't understand and I don't think anybody really could claim to what all the significant implications are going to be where the world is going in one direction and whether that's small things like in our business, channels that change significantly over you know, a short period of time or giant things, which include uh, how we go to work every day as a, again, a, across the world. We haven't seen the end of that yet. You know, there, there's still echoes that are going to be you know, years and years from now that will change things. So I don't understand the full implications of that. 
And I wish I did. We might not for another like 50 years. <laughs> we'll see. I think we need a lot more data and a lot more people analyzing exactly what's ha what's happened and what is going to happen. Because yeah, that's definitely that's a, that's a good one. Bart, David, thank you for coming on the show. David, for a second time, Bart hopping on here. This was yeah a really fun chat with the two of you and just seeing your dynamic and being able to be a part of that. So until a future round, around three, where can our listeners find out more about um, each of you and Good Planet Foods? And we can start with Bart, if you want to go, where to find you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, but more importantly, Good Planet, you can find out and, and buy the products at goodplanetfoods.com. David? They can find where they are at goodplanetfoods.com and have fun on Google if you want to find me or LinkedIn. So <laughs> yeah, plenty huh. of stuff out there. <laughs> but thank you, Stephanie. I mean, it's really, you're just great. And we appreciate you having us on. Thank you very much. This is fun. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.